Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Hello and welcome to The Pants Party. I am your host, Harrison Starr, joined as always by my co-host, Ben Ross, Harmon Chillabrew, Renboss23. How's it going? Good. Incredibly not on over today. It was such a nice departure from how I felt last time we recorded this. Um, <clears throat> it showed truly, I'll say it, her- heroic self-restraint yesterday. You know, I went out to <laughs> went out went out to to lunch um, at a nice place. Not not a nice place, like a a good a place with good food. Had a lot of a lot of friends were there. We stuck around to the end of the Bears game. God, they're horrible. It's awesome. And then we went uh, went to a scummy bar to watch the Vikings game, and I kept it really under control. No hard liquor. Uh, paced myself throughout the whole Viking. I was going to leave at half, but I didn't want to get FOMO, but I also didn't want to get too drunk. So I was, I was even good enough to bike home. Harrison, we're making strides. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. I got the, the picture of the text where it was you, uh, and your bartender or your bartender pouring a number of shots of screwball peanut butter whiskey. And I'm like, Oh boy, are we going to run it back? No, I did. I had no intention of taking any hard liquor shots yesterday, but I, since I'll just tell a story now, humble brag, I'm a good person. I'm just a really good person. I, um, somebody else covered lunch. Yeah, I mean, we'll pay each other back on Venmo eventually, but somebody else covered lunch. So I went and covered the bar tab, and I, we we're getting ready to settle up. And I told the bartender, you know, what's our tab? You never took my card, and he had, hadn't charged us at all for anything. He's like, oh, well, normally people walk out when that happens. I, so I guess, it's been, I guess it's been a problem for him before. So it's like, so we ran the tab and he gave us what you guys want shots of. And I said, Fournette, I got booed by all of my friends. Uh, so, so, you know, one girl said peanut butter whiskey, a screwball. And we, I think we willed that into existence when we brought it up last week or the week before. So that was that. Um, support your local bartenders. Don't walk out on your tabs and you'll get free shots you don't want <laughs> as a reward. I know. <laughs> That's always how that seems to go sometimes. Uh, you also had just a stellar weekend as I think about, we, we we had been building this up pretty much all off season into the season that you're going to Soldier Field for a game that you, what were you cheering for? Were you cheering for Bane to come and split the field in half? Okay, you're nodding, yeah. so I'll just I'll just let you yeah. take it away. Um, I mean, first of all, like Soldier Field stuck sucks. I am now on team. I don't know if you know about this, but they're trying. Basically, the Bears are holding the city of Chicago hostage. They want to build a brand new stadium, 15 miles west of the city in this um, in Elmhurst, uh, at the site of a former racetrack called Arlington Heights, or. I can't, or I can't remember. That's not, that's not, that's not the name of a racetrack. It doesn't matter. I can't remember. Um, and 
God, I had been this. I've been to. I think it was my second time ever seeing a football game at Soldier Field. Last time I saw, I saw the Vikings Bears there on Halloween in like 2016. Also, my dad came in for this game. He was, also came in for that game. Um, and I, I shit you not, like it. At, by the time we entered Soldier Field, it took us 45 minutes to get to our seats. Like, oh gosh, just bottlenecking everywhere. Also, I think it's just a lot of fan people who were there weren't used to Soldier Field, so we were. People are swimming downstream. We're going upstream in certain corridors of that abomination of a stadium. By the time we get there, it's I think it's three nothing. We miss the first four, or six, like five or six minutes of the game. We miss kickoff and all that. And I mean, it was fun. It was a good crowd. We were in a predominantly, I'd say, Wisconsin part of the stadium. Um, but it, it, we had great seats, amazing seats, and. Both those teams are so stinky. Graham Mertz had five turnovers. Jack Cohn didn't throw the ball far enough to, to get a turnover. <laughs> I think his longest completion of the day was eight yards. That's not true, but that's sort of what it felt like. Uh, my takeaway is Iowa would totally and completely dominate. They sit on both those teams for all four quarters. I wanted to ask, did you watch any of the game? I watched enough of it, Ben. As you know, with the child, there are other priorities. And I I was just sitting on these thoughts as I was heading to the park. We rode our bikes to the park. Very nice family day. And I we get there around 1030. I'm like, I need to lock in some of these free bets I have. And it just basically hinged on the, the idea that the Big Ten West is a crappy division. So I took three underdogs. Ohio, uh, Notre Dame, and Illinois, two of the three covered. And I took an honorary Big Ten West member, uh, faded them as well. Baylor uh, took them plus 200. Now I feel sick for doing that. But ultimately, you know, three and one on the basis that all these teams are bad. More of the story, we get back. I watch enough of the game. I'm like, I see that they play jump around. I know it's going to end poorly for Wisconsin. So I see it start to snowball, and then I start going elsewhere. I, I sent out that mean Graham Mertz tweet, uh, and then the, the Iowa game started. So we're on the same page there, because I my big bet of the weekend was Notre Dame. I got him at plus five and a half. And then of course, 20 minutes later, it turns into six plus six and a half. And I didn't even change. I didn't even double up on my bet. I was like, I'm very comfortable with five. I'll, I will eat that point. And I should have money lined him. Uh, <laughs> do you know how far into this game Wisconsin led? They, they led from most of it. And then they, they scored the field goal or whatever to have a lead just right when the the fourth quarter started, but I'm yes I'm, they were four, I, they were winning they were winning with 14 minutes left in the game, and then Notre Dame scored 31 <laughs> unanswered points. That that has to be like don't want to belabor it from a gambling standpoint, but saw that the overhit after sitting at what like 10 to 13 for mm-hmm. most of the game, mm-hmm. and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously, if you're Notre Dame, like, you're feeling good there. But if there are some probably prop bets, I would assume, like, you know, no uh, – three uh, will a, score, a team score three straight times? Like, you probably feel pretty good 
through three quarters, and then all of a sudden, Notre Dame. Well, it it says more about Wisconsin, though, right? Like, I mean, ultimately, that's that's the takeaway is just how butt cheeks to to use your phrase, um, Wisconsin is. They're so bad. They're they're so so bad, and really, Notre Dame's not good either. Okay. That, that game was hard to watch. I want to share with you some things I saw and heard in Soldier Field yes. that day. Uh, there, was a, there was a couple behind me. Um, one was a Wisconsin fan. One was a Notre Dame fan. Both graduates of the school. Both divorced. This was their... <laughs> and they, they wanted to make it very clear to everyone who had listened that this is their first like relationship after both being divorced. And... <laughs> The woman could drink just as much as the man. Woman, I don't know where she was from, but the guy she was, was from a, Wisconsin, right? He was from Milwaukee. Uh, oh, they met, okay. They met at a Brewers game, of course, and he's. She said he was drunk as shit. I, they weren't. I don't even know who they were telling their life story to. They were just saying it out loud, and since I was directly in front of them, I just heard it all. Um, they go, but they both come back from halftime, two beers in each hand, and the man announces just to our section. Well, the good news is we only got 90 more minutes of this bullshit to watch. And, I mean, <laughs> he was right. He was right. It was maybe even less than 90 minutes. So uh, that was nice. The sight of the day was me sitting next to a Notre Dame fan in Carhartt, uh, like a Carhartt hat and, like, camo boots and just a Notre Dame T-shirt and jeans who, after every single Notre Dame offensive possession – and Notre Dame defensive series would leave himself a voice memo on his phone on what Notre Dame did that drive or series. <laughs> and my God, I felt like he was um, a shoe bomber, a mail bomber. Like, holy hell, who does that? <laughs> and this guy wasn't like super old. He was probably like younger than my dad. In the- that that's some maybe he was a capital J journalist just like no no he wasn't no, he, was he, he, he was He's drinking very, that much he was way no actually I don't think he had any he didn't have anything to drink because he wouldn't it's twelve dollars for a Miller Lite tall boy oh yeah and he asked me me and my dad coming to our seats with him and he asked me right away what they cost and I told him and so he was too stiff to <laughs> to get loose um and. He was wearing too much camo to be a journalist. Uh, but he otherwise, <laughs> we had nice conversations about about alcohol prices. Um, and then my favorite thing I heard on the day, and it forced me to grab my dad by the arm and begin jogging as we're leaving the stadium, was some, some very chesty Notre Dame fan. And when I say chesty, I mean drunk. Um, <laughs> goes up to this very large Wisconsin fan right behind us and just starts talking shit about the Big Ten and how Notre Dame doesn't need a conference and how Brian Kelly just set the record for most wins as a Notre Dame coach. The Wisconsin fan, sharp as a whip, goes, he also set the record for most students killed too. And, oh my God, the Notre Dame fan, who was much drunker than the Wisconsin fan, like two of his friends had to grab him by both arms to keep him from socking this Wisconsin <laughs> fan. And that's, I had to grab my dad and we jogged like, you know, probably for 15 seconds ahead. And then we're on a walk to the train to catch the train back to my place. And this guy, this Wisconsin fan catches up to us, has the nerve to think we care about dissecting what just went down. And, 
at this time, like I'm wearing a Iowa shirt. My dad's wearing a Minnesota shirt. And we were like, we don't give a flying fuck, dude. He's telling us about how much he hates Paul Christ. I want Jim Leonard to be the new coach. How he's glad he's seen Bielema fall on his face at Illinois. He's glad Barry Alvarez is finally gone or is going to be gone so he can stop micromanaging the program. It's like, dude. I Incredible. Don't I don't care. I was going to shit stomp you this year. Please leave. <laughs> Please leave. Uh, people. I, I, I can't wait to have some stories this time next week of like drunk college kids while we're at ACL because I just haven't been around people. I don't know what's going to break loose. Like clearly people are just looking for, I mean, this is why we, we thought what we thought, right? That over under 0.5, Kinnick Stadium fights. Um, still comfortably under, it would appear. Um, but I, I was getting the sense that, hey, maybe maybe it might turn uh, this past weekend. But it did not. It did not. And we are all, all good for the most part as we look back to the Colorado State game. Much has been made about a lot of things in this game. And... I know you have been, broadly speaking, a little more optimistic about this team so far this year. I've been a little more pessimistic. But I have to say, after considering how poorly it could have gone, that's the type of game that Iowa keeps Colorado State around until the very end. And they led by 10 points for, really, the whole fourth quarter. And... Could it have been a bigger win? Of course it could have been a bit bigger win. But that's just not how Kirk Ferentz does things to his respected peers that remain on the list of coaches who have not beaten Kirk Ferentz in their career. So uh, I, I, I kind of feel good about it because they got punched in the face and they were able to kind of stick to the script and play well. It's 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 reassuring because you said they got punched in the face, but at the same time, like I guess we saw the passing game. I was gonna say the offense opened up, but really it's just the passing game. The running game yeah. we've got a lot of issues with. Um, it's and we talk about you know that's really a, a tale of two 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 plays for that game. In, in my opinion, yeah. I rewatched it. I only I only saw really the second half. The very Harrison, the very very first play I saw of the game by the time we got home was the interception. That was the first play I saw. Yeah. Um, when we got it home from the game, and so I, but I rewatched it in its entirety yesterday morning. And if Phil Parker spies Colorado State's quarterback in the red zone, and if Petra and if Brian Ferris doesn't call that play or Petrus doesn't throw that pass, I think Colorado State scores between zero and three points. And this is just another suffocating Iowa win. Of course, football happened. That's not how this game works. That's football. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, we saw Spencer Petras hit a tight end on a pass play that Nate Stanley wasn't very, very successful at. We saw Spencer Petras hit Keegan Johnson twice for huge gains. We saw uh, Nico Regani make, make a great catch. We saw Tory Taylor and Terry Roberts absolutely dominate the punting game. We saw Charlie Jones once again be a huge threat, be a huge weapon in the return game. We and we saw Jack Campbell. You know, I mean, wh- where were we in the Nagurski conversation for Campbell this year? Like, honestly, 
Yeah, I need to take a look at that because not what was it? Anthony Hitchens was the last guy to have this many tackles at 18, mm-hmm. and, and that was 2012. Um, he's certainly in there. Like, uh, he's one of the top three to six linebackers, I would presume. Um, but I haven't paid all that much attention to it. And from Hitchin, a national standpoint. And I remember because I was covering the team that year that Hitchens um, w- was racking up stats and like he never really got serious consideration because like he didn't have the forced fumbles like Campbell did. He didn't have the pass yeah. breakups. And it's it's unbelievable. He's still kind of league is incredibly undersized. Whereas Jack Campbell is the first sort of like true – I think we said this at the beginning before the season started, but linebacker with the size that like Chad Greenway had, and quite some time. He he's big. Like I mean, he's like every, six two every, or six three, right? I, I think he's six five. Oh like, I mean, that's what that that I think that's what they list him at. Like between him and Justin Jacobs, it is incredible how how big uh, Iowa's linebackers are. And, and I mean, Seth Benson, short, but he's. Still, like they, always I mean, in the right place. They kind of prefer to have a smaller guy at his at that at that linebacker position too. Anyway, oh, do they just because it's easier mm-hmm. to yeah to a little sh- bit quicker have a little lateral lateral movement. lateral lateral movement yeah. yeah yeah. But I mean, it, I, I thought that what scared me from the game though is that Steve Adazio came in there with the the template on how to beat Iowa, which to me, I don't think the book's necessarily out on, on Iowa because Kirk Ferentz has wanted to do this for 23 years. If teams want to choose to take the ball, that's always going to be the thing that like perks my ears. That's why I felt like, Oh, I was getting all those senses before the Iowa state game. Then Iowa starts with the ball. Okay. I was going to win this game, but when you kind of knock Kirk Ferentz off of that little bit of a script and Colorado state had as good of a punter as I was played this year, maybe as good of a punter as I was played the last two to three years, going back to Adam Corsick for Rutgers in 2019. And he, he was used as a weapon the way that you need to use special teams as a weapon to keep Iowa in their little box. Now I think to Iowa's credit, they had they used big plays to their advantage that they hadn't so far this season. They had the five play eighty seven yards uh, to Keegan Johnson. That was the the drive that, that that first scoring drive, and they like you said they Colorado State capitalized on Tory Taylor's worst punt of the season, and if Phil Parker spies him, he's already ripping Iowa to shred in the runs game. Uh, Centeo is and it's like just a, an unnecessary touchdown and then to your point the the interception it, there it is because that, that did kind of happen bang bang as I look at the the drive sheet now um, between yeah 355 and then 24 so it is how you have to play Iowa and I thought that Colorado State forced a lot of the breaks that they needed to force, but Iowa just simply outlasted them, which I think is a good sign going forward. But maybe, you know, it just shows how thin of a margin it is for Iowa. You can't have turnovers. 
you have to be strong in the special teams game, and both of those flipped in the second half. Like, in a way, you know, when we're getting chastised for saying a win is a win is a win, but, like, I want to go back to what I said last week. (coughs) And do you remember that was, Harrison? You have to win your clunkers. You have to win your clunkers. And, like, you know who didn't win their clunkers this week? Clemson didn't win their clunker. Clemson Um, did not. Uh, after that, who else? The Texas A&M. Well, Arkansas, we, we figured out it's not a clunker. Not um, a clunker. You know who didn't win their clunker? Iowa State. But, you know, Baylor might be good. Um, Baylor might be good, yeah. Who I'm going through this, you know. Michigan State won their clunker. Yeah. Oklahoma, Oklahoma won their clunker. North yep. Carolina did not win their clunker. Um, yeah. Oregon, Oregon won, won their clunker. They were trailing uh, in the first quarter, though, against Arizona, who is unquestionably the worst team in, in the Power Five. <laughs> like it's not, it's not really even up for debate. But I was reading some metrics today. Uh, you know, it, 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 we could be, you know, look at like Oregon State. They beat USC in Los Angeles for the first time. And do you know how many years? Uh, certainly longer than I've been alive. 63 years was the last time Oregon State won in Los Angeles. Um, another thing I read this morning was 20, so far through four weeks of the season, 25 ranked teams have lost their game, has, have lost a game, which is the most that ever since the AP has been keeping a poll. So, but you know who hasn't lost a game yet? Harrison is Iowa. And after seeing like watching Mar- the entire Maryland Illinois game a couple weeks ago and Maryland has struggled just as much with Kent State, quote, when I say quote-unquote struggle, because I don't think they even really – Iowa nor Kent St- or Maryland struggle with them, but they look they look the same uh, against Kent State as Iowa did. And just, you know, you're, you're on to the next. And I think, you know, the big, my biggest takeaway really is from Iowa is how – troublesome I guess this off you know I'm as worried about the offensive line right now as I might have been about the defensive line going into the season Tyler Goodson is simply too good to average 2.2 yards of carry against a team like Colorado State it's I don't get it I just don't that's much more troubling than last week when Petrus averaged five yards a pass and he got that up to around 10 this week right and yeah that's just something that I feel like can't and won't really be corrected in a week. I mean, here is the case for that is that one, I I was, even though Iowa didn't score at all in the first quarter, I felt like just the flow of the game, the, the yards that they were stacking in that first quarter, both from, a pass standpoint, but also the run game. I think it was Lysakow. He put it together and said that uh, I think Goodson had like 50 yards on his first nine carries. Um, so, something to that effect. He, he, he was doing work. And I think the concern, though, is that his yards per carry, and I think it goes for most running backs, but it seems especially true for him, is built on the big play. And that's, I don't want to frame that as a criticism. I think it's a good thing to have big run plays 
in your arsenal like he's had so far this season. But he's not like that Emmett Smith old school type back that you can count on for three to five every time. And partly to your point is the offensive line in front of him Um, from a a broadly speaking, like team rushing standpoint, I'm not quite as concerned with the yardage because you had a very rare miscue um, on the end around that lost 13 yards. And I guess the sacks are the issue, right? Because those yards come from somewhere. They happen to come from the run game. And even though it's it'd be 90-ish yards, it's better than, than 54 um, when you kind of look at it without those two plays. And maybe the, the best thing about coming away with the win, with the clunker, is you have a lot of areas where you can improve. And you've got Iowa's attention in a way they might not have been quite so locked into Maryland um, at, with, you know, with the look ahead thing uh, with Penn state looking ahead. If Iowa had just rolled through Kent state and Colorado state, um, maybe they're, you know, feeling themselves a little bit about a potential top five matchup in Kinnick in two weeks. You can't get there without beating Maryland. And I think that all of the, the kind of small issues, I think, Offensive line is is a big issue, but um, you know it, it it gives them added incentive to have a great week of practice. I mean, exactly, <clears throat> and also you know Iowa played a scrambling quarterback this week ahead of one of the better scrambling quarterbacks in the country, probably. I mean, Talia is lighting up the box score, but Maryland isn't really winning sexy games. Uh, again, go back to. Uh, the, the Illinois game a couple weeks ago, they beat <clears throat> Kent State by 21, and I would beat Kent State by 23, you know, so take away from that whatever you want. Um, it'll be uh, – Iowa didn't do a great job of balling up Centeo or Centio. And Thalia's, what, tw- let's say twice as good, three times as good as that guy. So <clears throat> so I don't know what they're going to throw. And that's always been, you know, sort of Iowa and Phil Parker's Achilles Hill is scrambling quarterbacks, but – took care of Michael Penix Jr. real well. And I'd say he's better than Centeno. So, uh, I mean, we'll see. I, I think I was favored by three and a half points on the road at Maryland. And honestly, it seems kind of right. Like, uh, for being honest, it's going to be a night game. Maryland, clo- they canceled school on Friday. They, they canceled classes. It's going to be, <laughs> I mean, real sold-out game. Uh, so, I'm excited. It's going to be great. Yeah. I, I share your sentiment that like the line for Iowa is in the right spot. Like to me, they are clearly the better team, but you, you look at all of the additional stuff that is around it. I think even though Talia isn't like a true scrambler in terms of gaining yards, they use him so well moving the pocket. He's not afraid to run, um, but he is like that super quick one and they'll use him in the run game as well. But I think, I think I looked, he has maybe 10 to 15 carries so far this year. Um, I think what's interesting for, for the Maryland game is the predicament that it puts Iowa in from a defensive perspective, because, you know, I think their best personnel is probably, 
the the back seven that we saw against Colorado State, but with uh, with the way Maryland has a bunch of three wide uh, setups, even more, uh, you probably see Justin Jacobs come off the field, Merriweather back on the field, and to me, it's not like a huge difference, but it's enough of a difference that I'm very curious to see how Iowa leverages the the people on their uh, on their uh, on the field at the time to match personnel, but also contain uh, Tungavailoa if he is going to be a um, scrambler like he's capable of, even though he hasn't necessarily done it. Hell, I don't know if they're going to bring on Kayvon Merriweather. Maybe I kind of hope to see him like more Terry Roberts. I'd rather see three corners out there. Or Ooh. I mean, or I mean, Den Belton, I think, has done a pretty great job at pass coverage this year, too. Um, it, it, but, I mean, I just want to say, like, Maryland hasn't faced a defensive line like Iowa's, and I think Iowa's defensive linemen are so so quick and fast that they're going to do a really good job against Talia. I, I think, you know, if – I don't know how I, – I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I paid super close attention to the Illinois game. and that, Those are only snaps I've watched in Maryland this year. But I don't know if their receivers can't get separation like super well. And I think I was going to throw a lot of things at this at this Maryland offense. And I'm – they're like one of the best defenses in the country. Like we just have to trust them, right? Like I'm way more worried about scoring points than I am about stopping the other team from scoring points. Even though Maryland is by far probably the best offense I was faced so far this year, throwing shade at Iowa State. No, absolutely. Like, I mean, I think you you look at the teams Iowa's played, and Maryland seems a bit like a supercharged Iowa State. I think Talia has the same height constraints, right, that Brock Purdy does. And Iowa, with the hands up at the line of scrimmage, they really neutralized him. Now, Tungavailo was actually at Alabama versus kind of getting the fake Alabama offer that Brock Purdy had. And it kind of bears out in the skill set. He's got a cannon of an arm. Um, and he, I mean, he's completing like 75% of his passes. Like they are running an offense that, lets him get the ball in the hands of the playmakers, but they're also not afraid to to test you deep. And I think it's going to be a good challenge. To, to me, the concern is like, can, and this has always been why I've had maybe a little too much confidence about this game is like, Michael Axley, like, can he manage a game? And Iowa, I, I think it was um, like almost six years ago, they went into Maryland and lost as I recall. So like, it's a tough, like lead up to the game, I think, but ultimately like to me, it's going to come down to how does Maryland try and do this? Do they try and get out to a quick lead? They can get, get out to a 10, 14 point lead. Then yeah, I mean, that's, that's bad news in my opinion, because it forces Iowa to be like almost all passing. Um, we've seen them struggle under Brian in those circumstances where they shirk the run game 
uh, against Michigan in, in 2019 against Northwestern last year. And I think that if they approach that, approach the game in that respect, I think it's going to be a real tough challenge for Iowa to dig out of the hole. But if they come out, try and feel it out, I, I'm I'm not so sure that, you know, Maryland is prepared for the type of game that I, I, I suspect Kirk Ferentz, Phil Parker, and Brian, and, and LeVar Woods are all going to kind of knock their heads together and, and try and contain because if they can, you know, uh, be delivered offensively, it, it gets back to the line. And that's why I think that that's probably the most important battle right now is Iowa's offensive line versus Maryland's defensive line. As I'm seeing, you know, some statistics that Maryland has 16 sacks in four games, which I think is like right where Iowa is, if not a little bit ahead of that. This something interesting I read, um, <clears throat> I think last week before Maryland played this week was this, this Maryland team is really constructed like an ACC team. They're, like they're still in the ACC, like, just with the way they've been recruiting and just their style of offense. And it's not, you know, and it's working for them. I mean, so far, I guess it's, what is it? Year two on the, under the Michael Oxley experiment. Um, I really like, I was chances against an ACC team. Um, most of the time, you know, last time we, who was the last ACC team we played Georgia tech. Uh, I mean, I don't want to, I want to, I don't want to go back. Or Boston and, college technically, oh, yeah, right? You're right. Yeah. You're our, right. our guy, Steve Adazio. Yeah. Yeah, Grieve Adazio going up against these Iowa Hawkeyes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, I, I don't think it's totally – I think it's a little reductionist, a um, little oversimplification of what's going on in College Park. But that made me feel a little bit better about this game going in is, you know, and, like, Maryland would be really good in the West this year. <laughs> I think an ACC team um, – actually, they might be good in the East even, you know, so I don't want to take that away from them. I just think <laughs> – yeah, <laughs> crazy. Yeah, we'll talk uh, about that. <laughs> yeah, that, I guess we will. I, I, I don't know. I just have to go back to like. I, I, I don't think I was gonna overlook this game. I think we're. I'm really excited. I, I, I think it will be the toughest team we play. I think they're gonna be better than Iowa State. They're gonna be better, better than Indiana. And I think I was done. I mean, they they're undefeated. They they won the games in front of them. They've done enough to win, and, like, I haven't seen anything other than, I guess, a lack of scoring points, which is, you know, a pretty big deal. But I'd be way more surprised if Iowa – I said this by for a lot of elements now that I realize about this Iowa football team, but I'd be way more surprised if Iowa came out there and, like you said, got down 14 nothing right away and just laid a big goose egg throughout the game than I would be than almost any other – outcome or you know happenstance yeah I mean I I think that it would be surprising but to me I also view it as like that is Maryland's best path to victory I I do think it was interesting to see them go into Illinois take advantage of some really shoddy coaching from from Bet Bielema um and then come away in the last minute that's certainly like I'm not going to say that Iowa can get into a dogfight where whoever has the ball last is going to be the team who wins. Like I, Iowa hasn't been in that game for 
much of the last year uh, outside of kind of the Nebraska game and then the two losses at the very beginning. So it's not like I feel comfortable about saying, oh, yeah, I can play like that. But I think what does make me feel comfortable is Iowa still is the team that knows who they are the best in the country. Like, I think that there is such intense value in having an offense that knows kind of the number they need to get to a defense that knows they can keep the offense, keep the opponent under that number. And you mentioned the, the Michigan game from 2016, a couple weeks ago, like just all we need is 14 points or whatever it was. And I, I don't, it's not nearly that type of game because I was obviously the favorite versus being a, a 20 point underdog, which is hilarious to look back on now in that Michigan game. But I just don't know how Iowa won't have a chance to win this game. And, and I think that that is, you know, they're the number five team in the country. They know who they are. Maryland is looking to, to rise up. And it's not like Iowa's the team they have to go through, but it's the team they have to go through this week. And I think it it should be a pretty good game, and I'm sad I'm going to miss it live. But uh, such is the life, I suppose. Such is the life of a flower child going to music festivals. Yes. I It doesn't feel like I just get a support team game. <laughs> Though it, it, it feels like maybe just get us a 21 game or <laughs> 24 would be better. Oh. Um. But yeah, we're going to learn a lot, I think, about – yeah, I mean, we will learn a lot about the Iowa team the rest of the season today more than – I mean, on Friday, more than any other, I guess. I, I, I don't like how it's a Friday night game. I I mean, I, I just – you know, that's an old man take, I guess. But it, 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 it does way more to advantage Maryland than – of course, you don't want to advantage the away team, so I get that, but – it just kind of feels like, you know, Iowa, we played Friday night at Minnesota a couple of years ago too, right? It's just, um, and that was like PJ, PJ Fleck demand uh, that, 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 the, that Delaney schedule that game. So Minnesota recruits can't watch Iowa beat Minnesota because uh, they've got their own games. But now, now in retrospect, you know, PJ Fleck don't, don't have that clout no more. And I think maybe they'll give a lot. I don't know how that, that scheduling works, but I'm happy. I I think it'll be another, you know, I was going to play in another hostile environment and they already have that under their belts at Iowa state too. So, I mean, maybe advantage Iowa there. Um, We'll see. Yeah. You raise a good point. Like I, I think what's interesting and I wonder if this is something that like just the nature of Kirk Ferentz, it, it's not a, a muscle that he has, immediately but it's a muscle that he's built up the Friday games he's played Nebraska on Friday for every year the last decade he knows how to structure a a week around a Friday game in a way that maybe he didn't know or or have as down pat you know six seven eight years ago so I, I think you know, traveling out east, it's an hour, whatever. It's a longer flight, whatever. And it's at night. Those Friday Nebraska games are always at 11. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think there, there are some additional factors at play, but I mean, I just, I, I'm fairly confident that they can win this game. Um, because I guess I just probably need to go back and probably watch uh, the Maryland West Virginia game because I think West Virginia was probably the team of the four they've played so far that mirrors Iowa and being more defensively oriented and um, you know they they won thirty to twenty four uh, and as I look at the box score I remember kind of seeing the highlights because they were on at the the same time as Iowa in week one. And it felt like, yeah, I mean, 332 passing yards, close to 500 total yards. West Virginia helped them, too, with four fumbles. So, like, I mean, and they still had a chance at the end, which is kind of interesting, right, where you kind of look at that that box score and see, oh, interesting. But Maryland, huge. They had uh, two 60-yard pass plays, a ton of field goals, um, so it, it, it looks like it sets up as well for Iowa as it can. Do you have any predictions? Uh, I think Iowa gets another, you know, red zone turnover. Uh, I think Oof. like I said it last week, I'm gonna keep saying it too consistent to be lucky. Like <laughs> I think we can kind of just sort of rely on a pivotal turnover. Um, maybe not necessarily red zone, but at, at any point of the game, I think. I think the offensive line is not as bad as they were uh, against Colorado State. I think we kind of figure some things out. And maybe, you know, it, part of it is, too, or I don't know, where we're at, at, the defensive line has seen success by just having hockey line changes, whereas the offensive line, I think we kind of got to find five guys to stick with them. But the problem is we, we can't find five guys. So we're – we're still kind of having open tryouts. I know <laughs> Justin, it seems like, I think Justin Britt, he's going to be back full-time forever at, at guard now, um, which might help. But, uh, you know, I think, I, I do think Iowa maybe scores the most points it's scored all year or against Maryland, which is what, 30, 31, 32. Yeah, so I was actually just looking at this. It would have been, it would be, because they, they won 34 to 6, right, against um, Indiana. Okay. So aided by 14 defensive points low. No, that's how, Hey, Talia yeah. hasn't thrown an interception yet. He he's due. Yeah. Michael Penix Jr. Hadn't thrown any interceptions until he played Iowa <laughs> that year too. So it, yeah, makes sense. Do you think they come away with the win? I, I presume. I, th- I think so. I think we do. Honestly, like, I'm not gonna. I, I'm not gonna. I, I don't know. I don't want to talk about betting too much. I'm not gonna bet on this game. Uh, I, but I, I do think they come away with a win because I simply, I'm kind of. A, I'm a Mike Loxley truther. Like, I don't think he's a very great football coach, and I think he's kind of feasting. Like he he got. He's a beneficiary of getting an incredible quarterback recruit, and then just has you know competence around him. Um, so there's that, I guess, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's just like, it's Maryland, you know, and and right now I was playing, the other thing too, is like, I know Maryland's undefeated too, but think about the momentum that the Iowa team is riding as well. Um, it kind of, it kind of, it kind of just feels like, 
this team is really close. They're really coming together and they're, they're, they're figuring things out along the way. Whereas Maryland, you know, this is like a pleasant surprise. It's obviously a surprise for Iowa too, but it's like, I don't want to say they've been here before, but they have, you know, they, they've kind of dealt with this. They know the coaching staff should know. I mean, 2015 was only six years ago. Uh, they probably know how to temper the expectations of the locker room and really handle how this is going. And also, you know, you, you wrote is all, all the cardiac that that 2015 team had as well. And I don't remember people being so upset about Iowa not beating Colorado State by 30. You know, we needed a 51-yard <clears throat> field goal, right, to, to beat Pitt um, at thir- week three or week four of that season. So, you know, history repeats itself, and I just kind of feel like that's how this, this season's going so far. Yeah, I think I think I was going to win a tight one. I, I think we see the defense slip a little bit. I I think, but come up big in big moments. Here's here's my hyper specific prediction: is a thirty-one to thirty Iowa win. But Mike Loxley goes for two within the final minute to try and go ahead. Iowa stops him. Um, so that is my hyper-specific uh, prediction. That would be such a stupid uh, move. I don't like Iowa in overtime against anybody. That's for, for, See, this, this, is, this, is, this is bringing the, uh, the takes together because that would be the type of thing that Mike Loxley does. Um to, to really test him as a, a head coach. Um, so I, I think that it is a tight one. It does go down to the wire. I think I am closing down the beer tent at Austin City Limits at like 1045 when they're trying to pull me away um, because this game is on Fox Sports 1. So it'll be a uh, – I'll be able to, to watch that after George Strait, um, you know, sings about all his exes living in Texas. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm going to catch some of this, I think, but um, I'll probably watch it the morning after, um, you know, just, just binge it real quick. Um, if Iowa wins, if Iowa loses, I'll, I'll, say, I'll save that for the ride home. <laughs> just throw it away. Throw it away. Um, so there's that. As we look at the Big Ten at large, September, I don't think, could have gone worse for the Big Ten West specifically because there, there's Iowa and Purdue, 1-0. There is Illinois, who somehow played three conference games. They're 1-2. and two. And then Nebraska's lost two games, going off memory. So then it's Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Northwestern have all Lost one. Who's better? Who I guess who's the second best team in the Big Ten West right now? Um, I'm tempted to say Nebraska just because of Adrian Martinez and their defense. Minnesota just lost his 30-point favorites to Bowling Green. Bowling Green's coach, so the type of things P.J. Fleck should have said after the game, he said, this is a good Minnesota team. They'll figure out eventually. Really, you know, P.J. Fleck's going to have a good program in year five or six that he's there, finally. 
Um, <laughs> Wisconsin, I, I don't know who their backup is, but at quarterback, but like the Grambert's can't. I can't imagine that Paul Christ is a alumnus of the Kirk Ferentz school of quarterbacking where you just don't pull a guy no matter what. Um, especially because I don't know, people are, I don't think he's on the hot seat by any means. Wisconsin fans probably wish he was, but I, I don't think that's a thing. Um, I don't know, man. Like you'd make the argument, like depending on how the Michigan or the, I mean, Michigan, Michigan state, they play in two weeks. I mean, that could be the race for, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I was going to say race for number two, but I forgot about Penn State. I mean, I I remember when I wrote the power rankings, I got past uh, there was when I had seven teams left, all the teams left were in the West, you know? So (laughs) it's just, it's, it's pretty dicey, but you know, top heaviness because we got these Iowa Hawkeyes at number one. Sure do. Sure do. I, I think you're right. As, as far as like, the team that I don't want to play tomorrow, like I, is Nebraska, just because they are so weird. They feels like they have the talent. They have like the defense, which is kind of wild to say. And you just never know with Adrian Martinez. Like you can get to him, and then he can scamper for a fifty yard rush. It's like. I've said it before. I'll say it again. This man is going to win the silly quarterback of the Big Ten award by quarterbacking a five and seven team. Now it's going to be a race between him and Talia, but those two look like far and away the two best quarterbacks, short of maybe the Michigan State guy. But Martinez makes some dumb, dumb mistakes. I think it's Purdue, and the the reason I tilted this way is how you framed up the Oregon state going into USC and granted it's a bad USC team, but the fact that Oregon state, maybe it isn't as bad as I thought. And certainly Connecticut is as bad as we thought. And if Notre Dame is better than we think, then Purdue's loss to them looks a little more okay. Um, but I think it might be Purdue. Like, I think this is like, this is the year, as I wrote in the comment section, like everyone in the Big Ten rest is crumbling, which is how Pat Fitzgerald gets to Indianapolis. He just, he he's like, um, there's this new show that came out on Netflix, The Squid Game, at the beginning of it. There's a uh, red light, green light, green light, red light. Bodies are piled up. Pat Fitzgerald is the man climbing across the bodies to the other side, just under the wire. That's that's how this guy does it. Um, but maybe Jeff Brom can work his magic with somehow he's still got two quarterbacks. Like I, this, this is just what blows my mind. Like maybe the second best team in the West doesn't know who their starting quarterback is, and I think that that sums up the state of the Big Ten West in September as much as anything. I mean, yeah, and you also have Brom kind of coaching for his job too, right? He's up up against the ropes. I think um, 
I can't remember. I was watching some NFL morning show on, on Sunday, and I can't remember who the commentator was, but he said he was the only person who picked the Vikings to beat Seattle because he was like, I've been, and he was a former player. It's like, I've been in locker rooms before, and I've no, and I felt that need, like, felt. I've been on a team that was really good, but 0-2 or 0-3, and they've been totally desperate. You don't want to play a desperate team, and that's what Minnesota was. So he picked the Vikings, and he was right. And that's just sort of how, I guess, maybe that's how Brahms feeling this year. And I didn't agree with it because I've always been on the team. Who is Purdue going to get better than Brahm? But I think he, but I think he's had some other off-the-field things, too, that Purdue hasn't loved. And, I mean, how many times has he beaten Iowa? Like he's not a bad yeah. like he can construct exactly. a roster, he can call a game, he can coach quarterbacks, he can get all Americans to fucking West Lafayette. It's it's pretty crazy. And I've always been a Brahm guy. So I, I think Purdue is probably the right answer too. It, and I think ultimately like the lesson is that Iowa just needs to freaking take care of business. Like I mean that it could not be more perfectly laid out for them in in how it is right now, because like the way they look, which we think is pretty good, you know, uh, overall um, the way everyone else looks, the way the contenders we thought would be look like Wisconsin, like just a nightmare. Like I, I really can't get over how, disheveled they are like it almost feels like a souped up version of those northwestern teams which is why it's kind of scary because you know they're going to bring it defensively and turn it into like just a total rock bite so it'll probably look like it did in 2015 when it was that 6-9 game and it comes down to the fact that who was it Stabby had like three fumbles one on the goal line that can happen to Graham Mertz. So if he's still a quarterback in, in five games. So um, I'm I'm very excited because it just – Iowa got through the 500 yards of shit, so to speak, of their, their first four games. And their Andy Dufresne in the rain just feeling the freedom because – at 4-0, I don't think was a start that anyone, except for maybe Heavy Metal Lawyer, I think that guy thought Iowa was going to start 4-0. Um, so credit to him. But, uh, you know, it, it now that they're here, they feel like an accidental top 10 team. I think that's a fair way to look at them. But they're who they are, and they, they should be in Indianapolis. And I'm... I just don't know how it'll play out because so many weird things can happen and have happened so far this year that um, it isn't a certainty by any measure. I mean, yeah, it's the type of thing where if Iowa doesn't get to Indianapolis and then, you know, potentially, I don't want to say win the whole thing because a lot of weird things can happen the rest of the year, but it's, type of thing where if not this year, then when, you know, enough doors have opened, this team is good enough to, to maybe even win in a normal year, right? Like this team might be good enough to go toe to toe with the best Wisconsin has had. And 
who Ohio, I mean, Ohio State's obviously an outlier, but them being down certainly doesn't hurt this year. Uh, it kind of feels like, you know, playing with house money and people don't really know what to do with it right now because nobody other than HML really predicted a 4-0 start. And, like, people are now mad that they all of a sudden, all of a sudden got these stimulus checks that they weren't expecting and are, are blaming, <laughs> blaming the government for handing out free money when – you know, you can do whatever you want with that money. Why are you getting mad about it? Um, donate back to the government if you really want. So, you know, we we take we took these ones to the bank, and people are are upset that now their account's finally in the green. It's just um, it's a weird weird feeling, I guess. I didn't expect them to be four and zero. Certainly not. You know, I expected them to be three and one, but that's a huge difference. Three and one is a huge difference in four and zero. It is. It's only the four. I can't. I wrote in the power rankings. It's only the third or fourth time I was been four and zero in twenty years. Um, yeah. So like, why? What is even the point in trying to not smell the roses? Do Do you want to talk about that? What? Just the general surliness that it feels like exists through a, a segment of the fan base. And I don't even. Maybe it was just one guy where we hyper attribute more volume to him than exists uh, in the the fan base. But it seems like there's just some weird, real, weird, really weird anger that certainly didn't exist in 2015, in my opinion. I think it's okay. I think this kind of go, even though 2015 did happen, but I often like to say, you know, in any social circumstance and somebody's acting on a line, I like to say, act like you've been here before. I would, I mean, they have been here before, but also kind of, sort of, not really. They haven't been here before. They, they haven't been number five, I guess, uh, in, in September since Hayden Fry. So in that sense, no. And I think, I think last week we mentioned that guy, you know, he, he's sort of an outlier, but overall, the, the fan base does seem generally more more apathetic than I can ever really remember seeing. You know, it's weird because none of my my friends just really aren't talking about Iowa that much um, and group me or anything. You know, we did that game watch a few weeks ago, but that was for Iowa State, and we were you know riding high after that. So that's that's just sort of an adre- adrenaline type of thing. Um, I guess I don't know. It, it's it's tough, not like not being in Iowa City or not you know being in the state of Iowa. Uh, I think for maybe both of us to really get a good pulse on it, you know, I'm not listening to talk radio about the Hawkeyes. I mean, I am reading coverage. I'm writing coverage, you know, uh, of this team. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Uh, like, I, I I will say, you know, I'm going on to the Maryland. I'm going on uh, to Studio Times, and you know what? They're mad about the over there nothing because Maryland's four and zero. You know the comments are all like talking about how great the receivers are and how lucky they are to have Talia and how much they like they should lock up Loxley now and it's all it's all sunshine and rainbows over there and that's kind of what I you know obviously I think that's I don't want to say the word toxic but it's a little uh, short sighted to you know not 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 nitpick things but. I guess maybe part of it too is like people are frustrated because this team's weakness is, you know, the offensive line right now. And that's usually, I was like strength, like only strength, 
only thing that can rely <laughs> upon is the offensive line. So that, like, I guess that's an issue. You know, there's, I think there's still some of the things lingering what happened in the locker room last year. I mean, maybe not though. I think that I still firmly believe that the program's changed for the better um, after yes. all that's happened. And you know what? I don't think you can really argue otherwise based off of their performance too. So you know, that's just foolish. Um, I was on Bucky's fifth quarter is pretty, they're really yeah. down. They're really down, which is awesome. Yeah. Freaking love that. I know. Spent too much time there today. No, nobody reads a gopher blog, so that's whatever. Coronation. I haven't been on Coronation in a while. Um, Maze and Brew is, is kind of funny. They, I don't know. It's whatever, but like nobody is just as, but they weren't as freaking down on uh, Michigan, I think, after the Rutgers win because they're kind of playing with house money too. I think a lot of them, a lot of Michigan fans expected. Jim Harbaugh to have the same season this year that he's had the past four or five seasons there in Michigan already. And again, they're, you know, they, they could with Ohio state super down. I said, beginning of the year, the only thing that's going to save Jim Harbaugh's job is if he beats Ohio state. And <laughs> you did. Yeah. That, that's gonna, I mean, that, that looks totally not, not just plausible, likely with the way things are going. Uh, pro, I mean, too bad for Michigan, too bad for Michigan that that game's the last game of the year. So Ohio state has a lot of time to figure things out, but, they played each other this week. Who do you think would win that game? Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be Michigan. Yeah, still, just because Michigan. just because Ohio State's in such disarray. At least Michigan knows who they are. I mean, that it, I've said before about Ohio State. How much better would their defense be if they just had Justin Jacobs? Like, I, it, he'd be starting <laughs> over the guy who put the team in the third quarter. <laughs> yeah, so they wouldn't. They'd have a fuller roster. I mean. It sounds so weird to say, obviously, you can't put history into this question, but like, wouldn't you much rather be Iowa than Ohio State right now? And could you ever imagine asking yourself that going into this year? Yeah, I mean, I think I would because four games in, eight to go. Iowa, and I think part of what is weird for Iowa fans is they're not used to being in... The, and national conversations broaden it too much, but like in that top tier category and to be here so early, you think about everything that can take you down versus what you need to stay where you're at. And what you need to do to stay where you're at is simply win. And you don't even have to win pretty. You just have to win. Like Clemson's not going to be in the playoff. Uh, Ohio State, they look like they're going to take another shot or two uh, down the line. They could figure it out. But, like, the East is tough. And uh, Oregon might be able to to sneak in there. So that, that four spot really looks like the, the Big Tens, the Big Ten champions. And Iowa just needs to get to that finish line, maybe with one – they could probably get there with two losses, and if they beat Penn State, who beats them, they could be an eleven and one playoff team. So, like, I think part of it is you—you you just look at everything like, oh, the offense, yeah, yeah. You just have to win the games. You just have to win the games. So, I think that that's part of it. And I don't know if it's like—I think there's a segment. The the negative part of the fan base believes that the positive portion of the fan base doesn't recognize Iowa's faults. And I think JP said it pretty well. It's like, we do. It's just, 
they're not any different than the faults that have existed before. Oh, the offense is going to lose Iowa game. The offensive has lost Iowa games in every season since the beginning of time. So like you just have to win the games. And I think there's some pretty good critical analysis out there, but I also think, you know, that there are, I was in a spot where I didn't expect him to be. And to me sitting here week four, week five, according to your power rankings, um, it, that's, that's good enough for me. I mean, it just, it just really is. Good enough. I mean, kind of, it's been sort of like the mantra of Iowa football since I've been a fan. <laughs> and a little maybe, bit. Yeah. maybe this year we can change it to great enough. Hey, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. Mm-hmm. So did you have any closing thoughts? No, no, I don't. I don't think. I don't think the outcome of this week's game against Maryland is going to dictate how I feel about Penn State. I mean, obviously it will. If we totally and completely get shit stomped or vice versa, I'll be feeling a lot worse or better one way or the other. But really close win, really close loss. I'll still feel good about Penn State. You know, Penn State doesn't look great after what, what Auburn just did. I mean, barely squeaked out. And when against Georgia State, I think Bonix got pulled even in that game. Um <sighs> And I mean, I mean, Auburn played Villanova, which is aren't they a Division two team? I thought Villanova wasn't even FCS. So no, they're FCS. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, they they won comfortably. But like, he he just slammed on the brakes. He probably could have rolled up okay sixty if he wanted to. But all right, I'm and good for James Franklin then for having some self restraint. Self restraint. <laughs> I mean, no, not really. It's just I don't want to sound like a you know a blogger for a blue blood but like it's it's iowa and it's maryland like who are you gonna expect to win and that's just sort of how i feel about this heard it here first iowa is iowa maryland is maryland i will say isn't last time we played at maryland though wasn't just a 14 nothing game or even a 14 7 game it i i think it was a super ugly one i think it was like I don't know if it was 2014 or 2016. Uh, it might have been 20. No, it was 2014. I think Iowa lost like 38 to 31. I was looking at it maybe not earlier today, but earlier. We've played more recently than at. We've played at College Park more recently than 20. It was 38 31. We lost. Holy shit. Yeah. What year was that? Was that 2014? It was 2014. Yeah. I don't yeah. even remember this. This wasn't the game I'm talking about. But the one at home you're talking about, that oh, was that was a home game. That was amidst, I think, the offense's worst stretch under Brian because they they won like twenty one to nine or twenty three to nine, but seven of those points came on a defensive touchdown as it happens. And then there's like the Penn State game and the Northwestern game, all three of those right in a row, and Iowa's offense put up like 30 points among those three games. It was uh, not good. Not good. So. And Maryland had Stefan Diggs in the 2014. Maryland season. has Talia Tungavailoa. So. Uh, I think I'd, I'd probably take Stefan over Talia. Okay. Probably true. Yeah. Probably true. Well, for Ben Ross, I'm Harrison Starr. 
Go Hawks. We eat turtle meat. Oh, that doesn't sound appetizing at all. <laughs>